Why 480? It's the number that drives our work lives. 480 minutes. That's all you have every workday. And the decisions that you make each minute can change everything. When you plan out your business goals over the next two years, that's only 480 workdays to get it done. In your entire 40-year career, you've only got 480 months to make an impact with your work. Time is the limit we can't control. Because time is your most precious resource. This is the Leadership 480 Podcast. Hi, I'm Beth Alms, and I'm your host today for the Leadership 480 Podcast, the podcast that's all about making the most of every moment of leadership. Today, we're talking about that 480-month career, the biggest moment you can possibly really have, and that's becoming the CEO. Most of us won't ever attain that level, and it's something that we might dream about or dread it depending on who you are and what your aspirations are but it's really curious to most of us so i have a really special guest here with me today matt pace matt is uh not only an executive himself but he has helped really hundreds of executives ceos at well-known companies get through the transition to becoming a ceo he has been their coach he has been by their side so matt welcome to the leadership 480 podcast hi beth thanks it's great to be here so let's talk about a little bit about the first question on everyone's mind is what does it take if you're not the ceo what does it take to get into the ceo's chair yeah that is that is the question that probably comes up Maybe not in that form all the time, but the what does it take question is the one that I think um, we get asked and we're working with our clients to answer a lot. And um, you know, people ask the question, can she be CEO? Can he be CEO? And the answer is usually yes, but the question is what kind of CEO might she be or what will happen when he becomes CEO? And so you know, the question what it takes, um, I, I think one of, one of my clients put it best recently and this is a CEO of a large organization and he said in in my view at least very famously he said um, you know if you're going to do this job you better know why you're doing it mm-hmm. and and what he meant by that was there are so many forces that are that are going to disrupt your intent that are going to disrupt your plans um, that are going to disrupt your your vision and he said uh, and and felt very strongly that the why is is the thing that's most important, and for him, it it and I believe not just him. Most CEOs are strengthened by a strong sense of purpose. Why am I here? What is it that we are intending to do? Because without it, I think you can get knocked off your track fairly easily, or be deterred from something that might otherwise be uh, a good intention. Yeah, that's really interesting. I guess I hadn't really thought necessarily about that strong sense of purpose at the top. I don't know that we always see that in CEOs depicted in the media, but you see that pretty commonly across CEOs. Well, you know, I think I think CEOs the purpose doesn't necessarily need to be some sort of um, virtuous human purpose like world hunger or disease. Um, purpose can simply be. I'm going to turn around the profit problem in this company, or we're going to restore a performance culture in this organization. That can be purpose. And I think as a CEO takes that role on, he and not often enough she uh, uh, have to think about what is my intent? 
And it's not all about her or him, but because you occupy this singular role that we call CEO and we put it in a singular place at the top of organizations, it means that it does have to be somewhat about you and your intent because you occupy the seat. You're where the buck stops. So you mentioned a little bit about it being about what kind of CEO someone is. Are, are there different types? Is it not just kind of, you know, there's an executive at the top and you're the one making all the decisions? Are there really yeah. different types of CEOs? You know, I, I think I speak for all my colleagues when I say that for every CEO we've met, there's a different type of CEO. <laughs> uh, that means, I guess what I mean to say by that is that um, it's the job that is most created by the nature of the person that gets in it. I think at every lower level job, starting from first level leader on up through CEO, the, the further down in the organization you get, the more the job forces you into a way of having to do things or a set of rules and guidelines and structures mm-hmm. around what it is you're supposed to do. I think, I think when you get to the CEO role, there's just a lot more freedom and responsibility all at the same time. And so that means that whoever the person is, whatever their nature is, it kind of just comes out and, and we see it and it happens. And so um, the, the question, what, what does it take to be a CEO is a complicated one because it's an interaction between, an interaction between the person and the business context, the organizational context. Mm-hmm. So tell me then a little bit about you know, sort of behind the scenes, what do CEOs struggle with? Sometimes what we see as employees or everybody's criticizing the CEO, what's on their minds? Yeah. yeah there's some interesting research about, about what CEOs, former CEOs, look back and wish they would have done differently. And there's one thing that more often than anything, they report wishing they would have done, and it's having stabilized their teams more quickly. And what I mean to say by that is CEOs struggle with getting the right team of executives in place that can lead the organization. And they, they report that they wish they would have done it sooner. Mm-hmm. And I think these are some of the biggest challenges because if you think about a CEO, the people who are reporting to you are probably really talented and more talented than you are in the area that they lead or they're more knowledgeable or they're more expert. And so you have these really accomplished, really often brilliant people who are reporting into you looking for guidance. And so how do you how do you lead those people? How do you determine if those people are doing a good job or not? There's often not a good playbook for CEOs when they get into their role. And sorting that out is, I think, for, for our money in, in the work that we do, um, it's the most common thing that CEOs struggle with and the thing they wish they would have done more quickly when they got into their role. Why are they struggling with that so much? What makes it so hard to put their team together? It's, you know, it's putting the team together as well as assessing the effectiveness of the team. Mm-hmm. And I think um, if you think about the, just the speed of change in what's happening, if I take the role of CEO my job within a month or two after I get in it starts to be different than the previous CEO. And then another month or two later, it's even more different. And so this rolling change and evolving priorities and the business context changes. So that means everybody's role is shifting and assignments are shifting. Mm-hmm. And as a CEO, you have to determine, for example, what does empowerment mean? 
What does, better yet, what does accountability mean? How do I hold people accountable? And what's the way I do that? So we sit down, you and I, if you're the CEO and I report to you and you say, Matt, um, you know, here's what I expect of you in the next in the next annual cycle. And maybe I'm the chief marketing officer and you don't know as much about marketing as I do. I'm a marketing guy. So you might be saying to me, Matt, what kind of goals do you want to set? And then together, you and I have to arrive at what we think the right level of expectation is. What are the accountabilities that we have? And that's a that's complicated space. There's no there's no one saying, here's how you do it. Here's what the mm-hmm. here's what winning means. Other than you know, the the standard lag measures that we're all very familiar with. So setting some of those some of those really big measures like we're going to get we're going to get more leads in our business or we're going to get more traffic to our website. Um, those are easier to determine than things like, am I managing this person on a day-to-day basis in the right way? Mm-hmm. So one of the things that I have always wondered about is, you know, honestly, the CEO role just looks exhausting to me, how they are not just tired every day. You know, they seem to find some kind of energy. I, I mean, are you, do you see that with CEOs or do they just have more energy than the rest of us? Um, I would say both are true. We do see we do see fatigue with CEOs only in private moments. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't see it publicly. CEOs are, I think, as we know, well known as people who tend to have a natural amount of energy mm-hmm. because it is twenty four seven. There is no turning the job off. Um, you, you don't go and just disconnect for two weeks if you're a CEO. Um, I suppose there are some who can manage to do that, but for most CEOs, the business never stops and the challenges never stop and the need for your attention and your quick reaction never stops. And so I think most people tend to come into it and it does tend to draw a person who is energized by the frequency of it, but I think we'd be naive to think that it doesn't exhaust people periodically, especially when performance is, is suffering. If things are going well, I think most CEOs would tell you how fun it is. It's when things aren't going well and they continue to not go well and the challenges continue to mount that CEOs can find it exhausting. Hmm. And I'm interested about what you said about what they show publicly versus privately as well. So, um, you know, a good part of my own career has been in public relations and one of the things that I have noticed and has caught my eye in the recent years is this growing trend of what they call activist CEOs, where mm. they really have this huge public-facing growl. The old rules used to be that you know you just stay out of everything, uh, you know, stay mm. out of any kind of scandal, stay out of any kind of discussion about uh, politics or or really really anything, um, and that's no longer true today. It's kind of more this 360 scrutiny, both from the media as well as from just social media. You're on display all the time. Uh, So can you tell me a little bit about how CEOs are handling that or how that's changed their experience? It's such an important topic for CEOs, and I think it's one that causes a lot of CEOs to lose sleep because... Mm things like social media are so daunting. You know, how do I become a social media expert? And what if I'm not one? Does that expose me even worse than if I try to be one and I'm not a good one? Um, mm-hmm. These are these are tricky subjects. And talk about there being no playbook. I mean, for goodness sake, how do you, how do you teach a CEO how to be a good social presence? Um, so I think, I think the first thing that a good CEO acknowledges is probably that... Uh, 
it's it, you're always on. You're, you're, mm-hmm. There is no private moment anymore. There is no moment when you can stop being a you know a, a responsible face to the public. Uh, private conversations have gotten so many people into trouble. Maybe yeah. there is no such thing as a private conversation anymore. But I think the other thing is that I I don't think you have to be an activist CEO. I know some CEOs are in business sectors where that's probably mm-hmm. more challenging than others. Um, but I think the CEOs who tend to be the most effective are the ones who are showing everyone that that they're listening and they're open. And that doesn't mean they have to agree with everyone or or pacify everyone's point of view. They have to have a point of view that makes sense, that has a, a true north, and that represents the values of an organization and where where the employee population is, you know, wanting to go and and is consistent with their mission as a business. I think I think if you are prepared to to be transparent in in that sense, you probably can find a way to navigate all this stuff without having to be an expert or without having to feel as though you're constantly under scrutiny. So, let me ask you a little bit about like CEOs who have surprised you, you know, maybe what they seemed like publicly or what you your first impression, maybe they, you know, then when you had a coaching session with them, they reacted differently than you thought or or maybe maybe for better or for worse yeah have ceos surprised you you know they 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 have and they and they do a lot beth it's so interesting because if there's one thing i think i've learned over the years it's not to think i know all that much about about what the answer is for a ceo because you know yeah we've seen a lot of ceos be successful and we've seen a lot of them fail I think it's really dangerous to think that you have an answer to, mm. to how to be successful. I could, maybe an example that would kind of bring it to life. There was a healthcare CEO that I worked with, and he was leading the organization through a very difficult period financially, culturally, um, a lot of a lot of organizational upheaval. And in the midst of that, um, they, as a senior management team, decided to get some feedback. Um, there was just enough cultural upheaval that they felt like it was necessary to do some 360 feedback, so they did. And and this CEO went and got feedback from all of his colleagues and a bunch of his direct reports, probably 25 or 30 people who weighed in and and gave him feedback. And, and boy, did they give him feedback. Um, so on the day that he and I sat down to go through his report, he had not reviewed it when we sat down to do his feedback session. He, had, he hadn't even opened it up. And I and I asked him if he had, and he was very honest. He said, no, I haven't had a chance. And we started to read through it together, and some of the comments in there were pretty tough for him to read because they were things, you know, words like tyrant came mm. up and words like aggressive and embarrasses people in public, and I'm sorry I have to work for him, and this organization is starting to embarrass me. Oh, These nice. were things that started to really get to him. And so you can imagine his reaction as he's paging through this. Well, flash forward a little while into the conversation, and he, he said something that really stuck with me. And I think this is one of those moments that really did surprise me because he said, you know, Matt, um, when I think back to when I started my first executive job, I remember what it was like to feel like I had a lot of responsibility and to, to be leading people in a way that was really important to me. And he said, when I think of the person I was then, and the person that's being described in this 360, I don't know what happened. Hmm. And he was frankly stunned by his own 
slow morphing of his behavior and his approaches. And the more we talked about it, the more he started to share that over time, the tensions, the pressures, the things that he felt like were his responsibility began to get to him and his optimism started to erode and his sense of possibility started to erode and that caused him to believe in people less than he used to. And so he had been this guy earlier in his career that it's the guy everybody loved to work with. Mm-hmm. Everyone wanted to work for this guy. And, and, you know, flash forward a decade and a few tough experiences and a few lumps, and suddenly he's not that guy anymore. That's, that's such a powerful story. I don't know that we think about uh, the fact that the CEO used to be, you know, somebody working alongside everyone else and, and a really different, uh, you know, maybe well-liked and, and then with the pressures of the job just start to get to you. And it kind of brings up a thought too as well that, you know, I see so many articles, uh, things, you know, designed for aspiring leaders, for um, maybe even the entrepreneurial types who looking at, here's how you get to be CEO, you know, and, you know, they're, they're sort of cheesy. This is the one habit you need to be just like Elon Musk. And this is, you know, if you eat this for breakfast, you're basically, you know, you're going to end up running <laughs> GM or something right. like that. You know, it's right. those kinds of things. Now, do you, obviously, that's not going to work for, for everybody, but yeah. are there some common habits that CEOs share or things to think about if you do aspire to lead a company? Yeah. You know, um, there, there's there's some, I do think there are. Um, I don't know if I can pick them off a shelf and say it's this habit right. or another habit. Because if you go back to what you and I were saying uh, just a little while ago about how the CEO job is the one where the person makes the job more so than the job makes the person, right? Mm. So if the person makes the job, that means, you know, I, I think each CEO has to find what's my habit? What's the thing that I can do consistently, that I need to do consistently, and that I need to display for our culture, for our business? What am I trying to change? What am I trying to lead? And I think um, the the sort of the sprint to the finish oriented mindset or um, something that's more of a burst of energy is less likely to accomplish results than something that's more consistent and steady and incremental and devoted to to a cause in ways that can enable some patience as well as some steady movement forward. I I don't know if I'm saying that very well, but I I think the the CEOs that we see that are um, the most respected, the ones that hold their jobs the longest, Mm -hmm. the ones that deliver the most results while they're they're in their roles or, or have the most impact um, in the in the tenure that they serve, are the ones that commit to courses of action and stick to them, but don't require them to be these big giant accomplishments in short mm. periods of time. That's a big ask because some CEOs face desperate situations where they don't have sure. time and mm-hmm. they have to try to produce a big action in a short period of time. And that's just a challenge that, you know, it's hard to prescribe exactly what to do for someone in those situations. At least a prescription that's a generic one is not one that would be useful. But but if you think about habits, as you said, right. um, there's, there's a habit or a small set of them for each person that's unique. And when you find the right ones that a person can stick to and be consistent about, it's those consistent micro-patterns that tend to be the ones that over time have the most impact. So you brought up something that I think is interesting is that, you know, performing in a short period of time. 
Uh, I have. I think the last number I saw was that CEO tenure is down to like five years, mm-hmm. I think, on average. And um, I've been seeing a lot of news recently, too, about shareholders uh, getting very impatient with CEOs. And, you know, if they're not delivering the quarterly results and, right. you know, they're not giving them a lot of time. Um, I think it was GE who just, their last CEO only had 13 months or 14 months in the mm-hmm. job. Right. Um, so, you know, and the challenge here is you, you <laughs> is combining that short-term vision and the long-term vision. How do you see CEOs managing that? Well, I think you put your finger on it. I mean, I think that is the, the tough one. It's, it's, it's balancing short versus long-term demands and figuring out how to prioritize and determining where to put my energy. And, you know, I'll say it again. A, a lot of times the, the job of CEO is, is such a – it has this spotlight on it, and we sort of imagine it as this exalted position at the top of an organization. And some of them are celebrities, and, and they get talked about yeah. a lot, and we profile them in all these ways as though there's this magic aura or there's somehow a different species of human being <laughs> that shows up in the CEO job. But these people are – are just as human as the rest of us. They're just not able to show as much humanity because we're watching them so closely and scrutinizing them so much. So in many ways, I don't want to act like we're feeling sorry for CEOs all of a sudden, but if there is one thing that does constrain their behavior, it's all of us watching all the time. And so if you have a board of directors watching and a bunch of shareholders watching and your employees watching and your customers watching, they don't always share the same set of interests. And so somehow you have to find a way to either thread the needle to manage to, you know, at some level appeal to all those groups. Or what I think is more often the case is you have to, this is going back to right at the beginning, you have to be clear about why you're there. What what is it I'm trying to do so that you and your senior management team as CEO can make some tough decisions and say, you know what, this one is probably not going to be as good for this constituency, but it's going to be better for this constituency. And we can tell a story, a narrative about over time how it's going to be good for everyone. But right now, we probably have to make this decision. Those are the I don't know if I answered the question very well, but I think there's a um, there's a connection between why am I here as CEO? What are we trying mm-hmm. to do as a business? And what are the needs of our stakeholders? And somewhere in that mix is a need to commit to a course of action that you s- sometimes you just got to, you know, if you're the CEO, that's that's the reason you're there. It's to make that yeah. final decision when it's tough for others to do it or when it's unpopular or when you can see that someone has to make it, even if it is unpopular. So I'm going to wrap up with one final question about maybe a CEO, the craziest path you've ever seen someone take to the CEO's job. So, you know, for some of us, it's easy to see how, you know, you get up to the CEO, but you're promoted, you're promoted, you're promoted, you're promoted. Um, And it seems like a lot of times nowadays, that's not always the case anymore, that it's not just, you know, straight on up the ladder. A lot of times it's a little bit more varied. So if we have some listeners who are thinking, how would I ever get myself in line for the CEO's job, uh, can you just tell us a story about someone who had a really interesting background who came to the CEO job? That's interesting. Um, one thing I would I would start by saying is that um, I, I'm I'm going to come to your to answer your question in a second. But an initial thing that you made me think of when you asked the question is that one thing we do know is that the route to senior leadership 
not only CEO, but also senior executive roles. Speaking of zigzagging around, Mm -hmm. for women and people of color and people of more unique backgrounds, um, there is more of a zigzaggy uh, path to the top. We see people having to take more assignments, get more experience Uh if you're a woman, if you're a person of color. And I think that's a message for all of us, um, not just people who are chief diversity officers or inclusion executives um, and leaders in this space. I think for all of us, we have to not just think once or twice, but deeply about why that is. What are we doing in our organizations to enable pathways that that cause us to notice talent or notice capability sooner, mm-hmm. and particularly in ways that are not the traditional ways. Um, so I'll, I'll, and I think maybe I'm meandering my way to an answer to your question <laughs> because we even have some data at DDI that shows that people who rise to the top of their organizations tend to come from some functions a lot more than others. Mm-hmm. They tend to come from finance. They tend to come from operations. They tend to come from sales. They tend not to come from human resources. You know, they, they tend not to come from some of the more non-traditional pathways, but we have seen I some know, people. I know, I already heard they don't come from marketing and PR. I already heard <laughs> the bad right. news, Matt. That's right. <laughs> they don't. They don't. But if you look at a Mary Barra from General Motors, Mary has a background that is not the traditional background in the in the engineering and design type of background. And I think by all accounts, Mary Barra has done a terrific job at General Motors. Hasn't been perfect. They've had a very challenging set of uh, uh, conditions that they've faced during her tenure, and and I think um, that's not likely to change. It's not going to get easy for General Motors, but um, she's a player who who comes from a more varied background and mm-hmm. from some of the non-traditional space. And in a place like General Motors, where the old term used to be, we're looking for a car guy. Mm. That's literally a term that you know. If I go back a couple of decades. We were asked to help, not General Motors, another another automotive company, to find car guys. You know, that's it just just the term itself denotes the fact that we have an opportunity to be thinking and looking for capability in spaces where it's not necessarily expected. And um, I guess another another point, Beth, is that if you look at data, um, you know, we we simulate the job of CEO for our clients and we we have our our client candidates for CEO go through a day and a half or full day simulation of a CEO role followed by a series of interviews and we talk to their colleagues and we find out you know what their what their managers have seen from them in the past and we put a profile together and what we don't find is differences by function for example what we don't find is differences by gender what we don't find is differences by by ethnic background. Mm-hmm. People are capable to do the CEO function in equal measure across all these different groups. And so I think I think our tendency to choose CEOs from traditional functions and backgrounds comes from the risk that boards of directors and shareholders don't want to face. They want some sort of known quality. Uh, mm-hmm. Or known quantity, I guess I mean something that is experience is the is the one you hear all the time. We want someone with experience, except we just know that experience is not a good a pre- as good a predictor as skill and as mm-hmm. the right the right disposition. Um, these things are are better predictors of who's going to succeed in those roles. So, if I were an aspiring CEO, 
what would be the skill or, or the thing best to do that sort of puts you in that position for getting the CEO job someday? <laughs> That's interesting because, you know, I'd be naive if I said you didn't have to get noticed. Right. Um, because you, you do have to find yourself into roles where people can notice you. And that's another thing that we as professionals, for example, HR professionals, we can help people get noticed. We, we can help work with our senior managers and our CEOs and our senior executives to say, what are the programs and processes we can put in place that cause us to notice people that might not otherwise be noticed? So um, you know, back to what to advise someone, I think raise your hand volunteer, um, put pressure on, you know, by your curiosity and your questions and your desire to be involved, put pressure on your professional players, your HR players and others who can help you find ways to get involved, to get seen, to get noticed. A healthy organization finds ways to see performance, to see people do things that are outside their comfort zone. And, um, if there's an asset that I think every organization would be would be well served to go look for right now, it's curiosity and people who are eager to find their way into challenges that they've never experienced before. If you can find that and harvest it, you have a good chance to build talent. And that's what everyone's having trouble doing right now. Thank you so much, Matt. So I'll sum it up by saying if you want to be CEO, Leverage your curiosity. <laughs> Get yourself into finance, I guess, <laughs> is the quickest way, or operations will work as well. <laughs> and uh, and get comfortable with disruption and discomfort because it sounds like it changes all the time. It's a pretty good summary. Pretty good summary. We'd like it to be broader than that. We want more pathways than that. I think right. um, it's one of the things we're all working at trying to do, but, uh, but yeah, that's a good summary. All right. Thanks a lot, Matt. Thank you all for spending some of your time joining us today for the Leadership 480 podcast. This is Beth Alms reminding you to make every moment of leadership count.